Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Auto workers at Ford threatening to strike this week. Meanwhile, Teamsters walk out at Molson Coors in Fort Worth, Texas. And today on the show, the latest from the Ohio Federation of Teachers and relighting the flame, the man behind the movie. Welcome to the Tuesday, February 20th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with uh, one of our longtime contributors, Melissa Cropper, who is president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. She also serves as secretary treasurer of the Ohio AFL-CIO. And one of our favorite topics of discussion with uh, Melissa is organizing, and they're doing a great job. The OFT has gone public with two organizing campaigns since we last spoke. Kaleidoscope Youth Center and the Upper Arlington Public Library. Well, at Kaleidoscope, 100% of eligible workers sign union cards and ask for voluntary recognition. And Melissa says, we are happy to report that their administration granted voluntary recognition. So that's a step in the right direction. In the meantime, at Upper Arlington, which is the fourth central Ohio library that is organized with the OFT in recent years, management rejected voluntary recognition. And this was despite union cards from almost 70% of the people working there. Well, after that, They started an anti-union campaign, which has involved anti-union videos from the director and an anti-union email that was sent to library patrons. So it's getting a bit ugly at Upper Arlington. This coming Thursday, the OFT is kicking off their biennial convention, and the theme is Union Strong. And Melissa reports they have uh, OFT members speaking to their union siblings about how union strength helped them form new unions. And they got a couple of interesting people that will be speaking. One of them includes Hamilton Nolan, a labor journalist and author of a new book called The Hammer. We've had Hamilton on the show. He's going to be the keynote and he will be joined by Bob Funk. Another guest that we featured here on America's Workforce, Bob, is the, the director of the Labor Lab, which is a nonprofit that examines union busting. In fact, we're going to feature him next Thursday here on America's Workforce. So uh, lots to talk about with uh, Melissa. Our second guest on the show is Carl Chris, and Carl is an award-winning local filmmaker, and uh, he just wrapped up a documentary. And we talked about this with Scott Paul from the Alliance for American Manufacturing. In fact, uh, they're promoting the movie. It's uh, titled Relighting the Flame. And it's all about Cleveland, Ohio's inspiring chant for community. 
cities across America to reclaim their industry. And I know this story all too well, because when I started this show back in 1998, day after day, we saw some giant steel companies of years past crumble, file bankruptcy, LTV, Jones and Laughlin, Bethlehem Steel, Republic Steel, which was renamed on another company some years later. The bottom line is the flame did go out, but it came back. But it came back. And this movie is all the workers talking about what happened 25 plus years ago. And uh, this is going to premiere Monday, February 26th at the Capitol Theater on the west side of Cleveland, 1390 West 65th Street. And there will be a number of key people in the audience, including Dave McCall, president of the United Steelworkers, the CEO of Cleveland Cliffs. Scott Paul's going to be there, and the director, Carl Chris, will be there as well to answer some questions. And uh, there is a limited number of seats available, and it's free. It's free. Here's the website, and we'll hit this pretty hard later in the show. Relightingtheflamefilm.com. Relightingtheflamefilm.com. And later in the show, too, uh, we're going to play a little, uh, little clip from the movie. Actually, the trailer. It's about a two-minute clip, and we'll, uh, we'll hit that a little bit later to get you kind of fired up for relighting the flame. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, the United Auto Workers Union is threatening to go on strike this week at Ford Motor Company's largest and most profitable factory. The union said Friday, the nearly 9,000 workers at the Kentucky truck plant in Louisville will strike Friday, February 23rd, if the local contract dispute is not resolved. Now, if there's a strike, it would be the second time the union has walked out at the sprawling factory in the past year. In October, UAW workers shut down the plant during national contract negotiations that ended with pretty significant raises for employees. Well, The plant, one of two Ford factories in Louisville, makes heavy-duty F-Series pickups and the Ford Excursion and the Lincoln Navigator large SUVs. All, all very, very profitable. Union says workers have been without a local contract for five months. The main issues of dispute are health and safety issues, minimum in-plant nurse staffing, ergonomic issues, and the company's effort to reduce the number of skilled trades workers. The union says the strike could begin at 12.01 a.m. this Friday. It says there are 19 other local agreements being negotiated with Ford and several more at General Motors and Stellantis. Now, the strike threat comes one day after Ford CEO Jim Farley told An analyst conference in New York that last fall's contentious strike changed the company's relationship with the union to the point where the automaker will, quote, think carefully about where it builds future vehicles. Sounds like uh, a threat to move some operations outside the United States. We'll see what happens uh, later this week. In the meantime, Members of Teamsters Local 997 at Molson Coors in Fort Worth, Texas, were forced to go on strike yesterday 
over the company's pay package, which they called disgusting and complete unwillingness to reach a fair agreement with workers. The Teamsters walked off the job after Molson Coors failed to come to terms on a new three-year contract that respects the 420 workers who make, package, and warehouse the company's beer and beverage brands. The strike shuts down production at the only brewery that services the entire western region of the United States with major Molson Coors products. Despite having months to negotiate, the company presented what they called insulting and regressive contract proposals, including offering less than a dollar per hour wage increase for a majority of the Teamster members. The local, again, this is 997, seeking pay raises that reflect the impact of inflation over the term of the expired contract. And the union filed numerous unfair labor practice charges with the NLRB over the company's bad faith bargaining. Got a comment here today from Sean O'Brien, general president of the Teamsters. He says, as long as the profits keep flowing to the top, Molson Coors doesn't give a damn if the workers inside its breweries can afford to take care of their families. They put pennies on the table for the workers behind these products. They want to strip working families of their health care. The greed and abuse from Molson Coors must end now, said O'Brien. He went on to say executives shamelessly bragged to investors about the company's incredible growth and historic earnings. Millions go to the CEO, billions go to Wall Street, and a middle finger goes to the workers. We're not taking the disrespect, we're not accepting the crumbs, and we're not making concessions. The Teamsters are taking this fight to the streets, and we'll hold the line until our members get what they have earned. By the way, Molson Coors announced last week that the company's year-end 2023 earnings were the highest in 19 years. They spent more than $50 million on advertising in the fourth quarter, and the company reported making six years' worth of profit growth in 2023 alone. And last October, they announced a $2 billion stock buyback for wealthy shareholders. We uh, talked a lot about this on America's Workforce last week. That was uh, last Thursday's show. If you go to uh, awfpodcast.com, you could uh, hear my conversation with the, uh, with the president of 997. So, again, they are on strike in Fort Worth, Texas. And it sounded like they were ready to go when I had that conversation, and they weren't beating around the bush. They did it. All right, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Melissa Cropper on behalf of the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A 
nursesforhope.org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans, and we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers, and we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at afge.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to uh, Central Ohio. Joining us from Columbus today is Melissa Cropper, one of the longtime regulars, contributors here on America's Workforce, serving as president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, OH.AFT.ORG. And she's got a lot to talk about, lots dealing with organizing. And I have to tell you, Melissa that Frederick Ingram loves you <laughs> along oh. with so many people. <laughs> the feeling is mutual. <laughs> <laughs> we've been doing we've been doing a whole lot with uh, teachers here in the last couple of weeks and uh Frederick of course we're saluting uh, black Americans for Black History Month and uh, okay. he's secretary treasurer of uh, the AFT and he was great the first uh First uh, part of the conversation, I brought your name up. And, uh, yeah, he loves what you're doing in the state of Ohio. And then, um, you know, he was the, the head of the uh, United Teachers of Dade Correct. prior yeah. to uh, yeah. going to uh, National. And uh, we followed up with a conversation down there as well with their leader. Well, and boy, you had Carla well, on, yes. yes. Yeah, Carla. Carla was great. So uh, last week, yeah, we nailed it, and and we're going to continue that trend this week with you. And uh, I I am so happy to hear that the organizing wave is continuing in Central Ohio. I know there's a lot of building going on there with Intel, and you know what? We've got it. We got to educate the populace down there because there's some good jobs. These going to be fantastic jobs when that Intel plant goes up and you know public education is where it's at so uh, right. hopefully we'll we'll keep moving in that direction but let's talk about organizing here kaleidoscope youth center let's start there yes very exciting news I mean, we like 
Like you said, we continue to just organize, organize, organize. There's a lot of people out there who want to be part of a union, and we're more than willing to help them do that. So Kaleidoscope Youth Center is um, is like a social worker facility for LGBTQ plus teens. Uh, I think they, they saw the work that we were doing with Equitas, who works with the same uh, clientele but at an adult level. And... Uh, contacted us about wanting to form a union and moved very, very quickly. I think they contacted us in, like, November, uh, got 100% support almost immediately, filed for an election, and fortunately uh, their employers did the right thing and voluntarily recognized. So um, we're very happy to to um, have them join our team. We'll get to work on a first contract soon. And I wish other employers and administrators would look at what they did there at Kaleidoscope, uh, look what they also did at Grandview Public Library, and, and realize that if you really care about your employees and uh, honor, honor and respect what they have to say, that when they say they want to form a union, you step aside and let them form a union. Melissa, let me ask you. When, when 100% of the people say they want a union, wouldn't you say that's kind of intimidating to the people that are running the business? <laughs> you would think. You would think, yes. But we've, we've filed with 80%, 90% before, which I think would be intimidating too, but still people want to fight it. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's great. Definitely a move in the right direction. Now, now we've got a problem here at Upper Arlington Library. It wasn't 100%, just shy of 70%, but... What's the story here? Because it, it doesn't look like it's going to be very a smooth operation here. Right. This is the uh, opposite end of the story. This is uh, you know, Upper Arlington. Um, again, I've been working for a while to with the, their organizing teams and working on talking to all their colleagues. And they got uh, 69, 69.3% support. So right there at 70% support really to form a union. Um, really could have, you know, They've been doing this for a while, and the problem was uh, employees kept leaving. We'd, we'd get at 70%, and a few people would quit and go to work somewhere else because they didn't like the working conditions at Upper Arlington. Uh, but finally, we got to 70%, filed for an election. And you know, we, we were hopeful that maybe the administration would decide to voluntarily recognize, but they did not. Um, instead, they have been putting out videos uh, to their employees about why they should not join a union. Um, they actually sent a message out to all the patrons on their email list. So anyone who signed up with the library to get news from the library got a message from the administration about staff wanting to unionize and how it was going to be harmful to the library. Uh, so there are now a group of citizens who are pushing back on that and uh, you know are a little bit angry about their emails being used in that way and pushing back and asking them not to use taxpayer dollars for lawyers to fight against forming a union. So um, again, it's unfortunate. Um, 70%, you know, 69, 70%, that's a pretty high amount. And it's really some of these videos are insulting in what they say to say that um, the employees didn't understand what they signed when they signed a union card. And we're talking about <laughs> librarians and people who work in libraries who deal with information every day, and you want to call them stupid, say they didn't know what they were signing. I mean, it's, oh it's, all, it's all just kind of ridiculous. But it's also the playbook that we see very often in organizing, where administration, instead of just getting to work on getting a contract, and like I said before, honoring the voice of their workers, want to push back and fight it and drag it out. 
the very fact that uh, they're getting public taxpayer money here, I mean, it's just not right that they're, you know, going the distance here to fight the union campaign, obviously, when a majority want to go with the union. This sounds like it may become a real interesting media campaign, too, maybe with that message to get out there. Hey, your money is going to fight the workers there. Do you see that kind of materializing on this one? Oh, sure. I mean, we're, we're certainly putting out that message. And like we said, we were surprised when just a couple of days, you know, after their email went out to people, we opened the Columbus Dispatch and saw a, a letter from a community member unsolicited by us. We had nothing, we knew nothing about it, but talking about how they thought this was a misuse of taxpayer information and a misuse of taxpayer funds. So I think, you know, again, they're, they, they put the message out to their community. I think their community is pushing back on them, um, not wanting to see their taxpayer dollars used in this way. Okay. We'll keep us posted on that one. Let's move on here. you got a big week this Thursday. You're kicking off your uh, biennial convention. Sounds like you got a lot uh, on the agenda here. I'll let you pick it up from there, Melissa. We do. We, we do. It's very exciting. You know, every year, our convention runs about two and a half days. And when we start planning that, uh, our, our first thought is, you know, how do we fill up two and a half days? And, and then it's like very quickly we thought, oh, my gosh, we have so much to do. There's no way we're going to be able to fit it all in two and a half days. <laughs> but we're, we're very excited. Uh, our theme this year is Union Strong, following up on the theme that Labor used last year during the Issue 1 campaign in August uh, because it's such a – I mean, it's, it's a message that resonates with everyone. And we've been showing – Labor has been showing uh, – particularly throughout the last year, how powerful they can be whenever, you know, whenever we all combine together. We just want to carry that theme through our convention. We're going to feature a lot of work of our locals, of ways that they've been successful um, through collective action and, and through their local strength in getting good contracts, um, holding good community events, and just doing really great work on a ground level. So we're going to feature that. But we're also... Uh, bringing in a few guest speakers, we are bringing in Hamilton Nolan, who just who's a well-known labor journalist, and who just came out with a new book called The Hammer that talks about labor and organizing. So he's going to be our keynote speaker um, at our lunch on Thursday. Uh, we're also bringing in uh, Bob Funk, who's the director of the Labor Lab, which is a nonprofit that examines union busting. Um, we're giving Bob a friend of, of OFT award for the help that Labor Lab has done for us when we've been organizing, particularly when we were organizing at a KIPP charter school. And uh, he helped us with identifying that they weren't filing some of their LM2s and help us with some ULPs and stuff. So he's going to be there to, um, to get our award, but also is going to talk a little bit about Labor Lab and the work that they do. Um, we're bringing in a few of our AFT staff to talk about um, trends, bargaining trends that we're seeing across the country to help us prepare for the big bargaining, the big contracts that we have coming up this year. Um, and we're also bringing in Rob Weil from AFT. Well, we're going to start examining what our proactive legislative agenda will be for next year, um, how you know, dealing with uh, high-dose tutoring, um, vouchers, uh, just a lot of things that are happening in the legislature. Uh, on Saturday, we're bringing in Terrence Martin, who's the president of AFT Michigan, to really talk to us about how redistricting changed uh, the Michigan landscape and how they were able to really move ahead proactively in Michigan because of doing redistricting. So uh, just a whole lot, a whole lot that we're going to be covering in two and a half days. 
Boy, you got an impressive lineup there. And uh, I'll tell you, feel free to go to uh, awfpodcast.com and check out our guest lineup because Hamilton, Nolan, and Bob Funk we're regulars here on America's <laughs> Workforce. So, uh, but that's cool. You know, in fact, Bob Funk is going to be on the show next Thursday. And, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. And that labor lab, oh, my God, what a wonderful organization. Those of you listening right now, if, uh, if you want to find out about union busters, he's the guy. He's the guy. He tracks them all, and he's, uh, he's very, very meticulous with it. So that'll be exciting. And I know Hamilton, I don't know if he's still uh, – contributing to in these times magazine but uh, two very powerful speakers there lots lots going on in a short amount of time okay uh, a couple of weeks ago you uh, you had this what was it literacy across ohio day sounds like uh it happened in several cities can you give us some details on that and how effective was it yes another very exciting event we've, we've just had a lot of great things going on lately um which has been a lot of fun because there's so much negative that happens on the legislative front that um, it's always exciting when we can do things that uh, that are that our members that benefit our le- members on a local level and is positive. So this literacy cost at Ohio Day was a, a way that we were reaching out to our members to offer professional development around literacy and writing in light of the new laws that were passed last year around the science of reading. And what was really powerful about this day was that the professional development was written by OFT and AOT members and delivered by OFT and AOT members. Now, at a state level, you know, part of the, part of the law that passed last year requires professional development. And if you take the the state-sponsored, state-delivered uh, professional development, you can be a paid a stipend. But our members came to us and said. Every professional development we've ever gotten from AFT has been very powerful, and we would rather have AFT, OFT give us something than take what we have from the state. So that's where our members stepped up to the plate and wrote this professional development and delivered it. So this happened on February 3rd. We had uh, we set up in Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Toledo, but opened it up to all our locals. And across the state, we had about 200 people participate on a Saturday. So 200 teachers who across the state gave up their Saturdays to hone their skills on working with children around reading and writing. Um, Just an incredibly, incredibly powerful day. And the reactions we got from it, again, best professional development we've ever had. When can we have round two? What comes next? So we are working on, we're actually, as part of our convention, we're going to start talking about uh, a year-long literacy campaign where um, a next step of it is training our teachers to actually work with parents on uh, science of reading skills that they can use with their children at home. We're going to be doing some events with First Book across the state to, to continue to give out books and help children build their home libraries. So just really embracing this literacy and taking the lead on it as a union, taking the lead on, on literacy and how our teachers can sharpen their skills uh, to do the best that they can do in our classrooms. So did I hear you correctly? There were 200 teachers that took time off on their Saturday to participate in this. Wow. That, is correct. that just shows you something. Uh, contrary yeah. to, you know, contrary to all the negative that uh, um, some, pe- some people in our legislature later want to put out about teachers. Uh, you know, we had headlines that came out saying we were uh, opposed to, to changing how we teach literacy in the state, all a false narrative. The truth of the matter is our teachers care very deeply about about children and want to use the best strategies they possibly can and like I said 200 and you know we had we had waiting lists 
200 people, 200 teachers and paraprofessionals who showed up on a Saturday to receive this professional development. And knowing, and knowing that it wouldn't even qualify for the state stipend because it wasn't delivered by the state, still gave up their Saturday to come in and take this professional development. Well, congratulations on that. It just shows, once again, the dedication and the passion of public school teachers. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. Great story there. Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers. OH.AFT.ORG is a website. You take care. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next month, okay? Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a quick break. The man behind relighting the flame. That's coming up next right after this on America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Are you looking for a new health care partner for your union members? Let Antha Blue Cross and Blue Shield be your champion, making sure your members live their healthiest lives now more than ever. It's important to have a partner you can trust, one who understands the unique challenges unions face. Anthem provides a variety of options to meet your organization's needs and helps you control costs without sacrificing quality of care. For more information, visit anthem.com slash labor and trust. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by 
the United Labor Agency. All right, let's go to a uh, line number two. Welcome another newcomer to the show. His name is Carl Chris, and uh, he puts together documentaries, in fact, award-winning documentaries, and uh, there's one that's going to premiere in Cleveland, Ohio, next Monday, February 26th. It's titled Relighting the Flame, and it's all about the perils of the steel industry back in the 90s. Carl Chris, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for uh, joining us today. And uh, let's get acquainted first. I always like to uh, find out from new guests and how they got from point A to point B. And I understand now you're not from northeastern Ohio. You were uh, born and raised in Chicago, and then you found your way to Cleveland. Let, let's let's talk about that. How did you uh, how did you get here? And, and talk to me about your travels, and then we'll get into this documentary. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, so yeah, uh, I. Uh, I was um, actually working as a film editor in L.A. and uh, in 2017, when uh, when Trump uh, was was in office, uh, I realized that um, I was kind of out of touch with the uh, with the Midwest, which is where I'm from, and I was kind of curious how so many people had crossed over who voted for Obama, and then uh, voted for Trump, and so that inspired me to. Um, come back to Ohio, and uh, at first I was thinking about doing a documentary about uh, Obama-Trump voters, but I found that uh, the highest number of people who switched were in northeast uh, in Ohio, were uh, mostly in northeast Ohio, the Mahoney Valley, which were uh, in uh, communities where there was a lot of industry that left. Uh, steel, steel mills had closed. Um, factories, you know, had a lot of jobs had gone overseas. And the, m- the more I talked to people, I began to learn that uh, uh, many people crossed over because they were frustrated uh, with the system and felt like uh, felt like it wasn't working. Around that time, General Motors announced they were closing the uh, Lordstown plant. And so that uh, inspired me to kind of shift gears and focus more on the families uh, that were part of the union that were, were impacted by the closure. And, and, uh, and so, um, that, that's what really, you know, got me into documentaries and, and, uh, um, helped me learn that, uh, you know, much of, uh, much of the, uh, uh, the, um, our political situation in this country is, it, it goes beyond politics. It's often, uh, related to, uh, jobs and, uh, um, families trying to live a decent life. And the thing about it, when, when something like a plant shuts down, I mean, there's desperation in there. There's a lot of angst. There's, and, and people want, they want answers right away. And I remember Trump saying, oh, I'm going to bring all the jobs back when, uh, when Lordstown closed. And uh, that really didn't happen now, did it? Yeah, no, it, 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 it did not. It was kind of ironic because he had, he had come to Youngstown and said, uh, like, don't sell your home and, and uh you know, told people not to move, and then many people did have to move uh, when the plant closed. So, um, yeah, I mean that that was uh, that was really challenging for a lot of families, and many people had had voted for Trump. Many people had had crossed over and voted for him, uh, and uh, and there were many people who who did not uh, vote for Trump. But um, you know, either way, I think that uh, a lot of the uh, it was interesting. A lot of people who did vote for Trump were still still were not. Um, upset with him. And, uh, and I think that one thing they said that I think is also, um, accurate is that like, uh, much of this happened before he was in office. Uh, 
not necessarily that particular situation, but just the, the fact that the steel industry had declined and this kind of dysfunction um, had existed, uh, you know, workers had been left behind uh, for decades and both Democrats and Republicans have, have not done enough. No to, doubt about uh, that. To help. No doubt yeah, about but, that. But also, yeah. it, I, I'm not, I don't think that Trump really helped them uh, and, and didn't really help uh, keep that plant open. Yeah, this this goes back to the 70s when they decided, oh, you know what, we can do a lot better with cheaper labor. So, uh, and that just that was the big downfall there. So, fast forward to uh, to what happened in the 90s here, and, and how did this materialize? Were you contacted by a few people? Did the workers come to you? Explain that part to me, Carl. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, uh, Scott Paul from AAM reached out to me and. Um, he had seen uh, uh, Bring It Home uh, and, and had uh, uh, reached out to me about this project and uh, uh, said that, you know, the, the steel industry has, has really um, started to uh, change. It's, you know, and it, it's making a comeback uh, in, in our country and America. And so um, he came up with the idea of telling a story that was different than uh, kind of updating the story of steel uh, that we're used to hearing, which is that, you know, there was a decline in the, um, late seventies and and eighties. Um, and now as the steel industry, uh, really since, uh, 2002, when, when the United steel workers, uh, went to Washington DC and, you know, uh, fought for, uh, tariffs, um, really since that time, uh, steel has, uh, been making a comeback. Uh, and, uh, and so he wanted to tell that story and, uh, so he reached out to me, and I, I was really excited about it, um, especially because one of the uh, plants that we would uh, that we focused on for this film was Cleveland Works, which I drive by, um, you know, almost every day, and I've seen the flame of the the plant, and uh, it's sort of like a, a you know beacon, I think, for the city that reminds people of home, and so um, you know having an opportunity to meet the workers, uh, learn about their story, and actually go inside the plant was. Uh, was uh, pretty cool and, and something that I've, I've been curious about for a while. Carl, I have to share with you, when I started this show, which was in 1998, I mean, every day there was another story about a steel mill going bankrupt. And Dave McCall, who was the District 1 director at the time, now head of the Steelworkers Union, was on the show just talking about the, the, the state of affairs in the steel industry. And I watch, and I come from the steel industry, my dad worked at the old Cuyahoga Works over by 49th and Harvard for about 40 oh, years. Cool. And, yeah, and I worked there for two summers. I told my dad, I said, Dad, I don't know how the heck you did this for, for over four decades. And I was working in the office, and I, I was out there, you know, doing the – he was in the shipping department, and it was hot, nasty, dirty. But, uh, but uh, there was a lot of solidarity there. There's no doubt about that. And uh, so steel, steel is my family. And I saw that flame go out. And when it came back on, man, I pulled over to the side of the road and I said, Dad, it's back. It's back. He was long past when that happened. But that was a very, very emotional moment for me. And I'm sure it was a heck of a moment for the workers that you talked to. So were they pretty much open about what happened there? Can, can we get into that conversation? What, what did they tell you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, that, that's... Uh, um... That's a great question. And so, uh, yeah, uh, they, uh, they were open about it and, and, uh, basically, I mean, it was always a very productive plant. And, uh, I think that's what was so frustrating to the workers when it closed is that, um, 
they were, uh, you know, doing a, a great job and, and um, you know, delivering. But the the uh, the challenge was really uh, because of uh, illegal dumping and uh, and the price of steel, um, you know, had had gone down because a lot of the uh, a lot of foreign countries uh, were subsidized to produce mm-hmm. steel, um, and I think that. Uh, at a lower price, so they basically were producing steel, but then being subsidized by the government, uh, so that they could sell it at a cheaper price, and uh, that was a big reason why the um, why the company went out of business when it was uh, LTV. Carl Chris joining us on our live line today. He is an award-winning documentarian. We're talking about the movie Relighting the Flame, which will be premiering in Cleveland, Ohio. This coming Monday, February 26th, doors open at 4.30. The film begins at 5. And if you're interested in going, you got to hurry because there's a limited number of free tickets available. You have to go online. It's relightingtheflamefilm.com, relightingtheflamefilm.com. And there will be brief remarks from Dave McCall, who is the current president of the Steelworkers, the CEO of Cleveland Cliffs, the CEO and chairman, and also Scott Paul, who talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago. And Carl will be in the audience as well. We'll continue with him right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit bacweb.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be A. WF Union podcast. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Carl Chris. 
Carl is an award-winning documentarian. We're talking about Relighting the Flame, which is about what happened in the steel industry in Northeastern Ohio. And I'll tell you, you got a lot of rave reviews here. I noticed in uh, some of the notes I got that Beth Macy, who's a best-selling author of Factory Man, I remember talking to her some years back on the show. She said, in this probing story about Midwestern steelworkers, Carl Chris takes on one of the most important issues of our time. How to create the kind of communities our children will want to return to. The answer isn't just good schools, health care, and opportunity. It's homegrown jobs. And that's exactly what we're talking about on this show. And this is what we talk on, on the show every day here on America's Workforce. You know what I want to do for our listeners, Carl? And thank you again for joining us. I want to play the uh, trailer to the movie. And uh, those of you listening can hear, get a little snippet of what Carl put together. Let's listen here on America's Workforce. There was a time when the plant was closed and that flame wasn't burning. You didn't see that flame. And it was almost like something was missing. I'll never forget when that went out. And converse to that, I'll never forget when it came back. I remember as a little girl, whenever we'd go out of town and come back in, I'd always see this flame, and I would ask my dad, what is that, Daddy? For them, it's like, okay, well, that's my, what my dad makes. That's what my dad makes. Whether my still is in there or not doesn't matter. They just know that we're a part of that entire process. Being able to have an impact on the community that you live in, because you know if there's jobs there and there's good schools there, then your kids have a better chance of wanting to stay there. And so as you're building the community, it continues on. When you work hand in hand with someone every day, you see their life, you see, hey, they're just like me. <laughs> we come to work every day, we do the same things, we take care of our families. And I think culturally that'll help break a lot of barriers that are there. It's terrific to know that now their their older timers are passing on to the to the newer kids, you know, their legacy to say now it's up to you, you make it better than we made it. Again, that's the uh, trailer for the movie Relighting the Flame, which is going to premiere in Cleveland on February 26th, next Monday. Carl Chris, the uh, the guy to put it all together. The voices we just heard, Carl, talk to me about them. Uh, were they forthcoming? Did they want to tell this story? Uh, did one maybe outshine another? I'd like to get that part. Just uh, The making had to be quite, uh, quite interesting and also something that really you could sink your teeth into. I would imagine there's a, there's a couple stories right there. Can you reflect on that for us? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think like it, it had been a while since, uh, you know, anybody had, had really um, focused on telling a story about steel uh, and kind of like updating the version that we've heard of the steel industry, which was the decline back in the 70s and 80s. And so I think when people, um, when we first approached people about uh, making this film, I think they want, people were curious uh, at the, you know, unions, but they wanted to know kind of like what it would be about what was the focus you know and and uh when we started telling people that it was you know about how the steel industry has 
evolved and, and is now, you know, making, making a comeback and that these are great paying jobs and people had a lot to say about that. And that, that was really interesting is once you, once we started talking to people, uh, people did start to, um, kind of open up a little bit and, and there, you know, I think a lot of steel workers are, you know, obviously very, very busy. Um, one thing that stood out was that, uh, so many of them are, all basically like scientists, you know, uh, and that these jobs have really changed over time. It's not, uh, you, you know, so, so much focused on labor. There, there is, there is a lot of, you know, hard work and labor that goes into making steel, but, uh, many of these people, you know, because the jobs have changed over time, you know, are working on computers are, you know, doing, uh, you know, math and science. And, uh, and so when I talk to people, uh, when I uh, interviewed people for the documentary, many of them uh, were um, talked about the, you know, how there were geniuses in the steel mill and how the job had become more creative and was really, uh, and I think it was always creative, but uh, it's, it requires just a lot of uh, problem solving. And so uh, the people I talked to, uh, many of them had gone through uh, career transitions in their own life, like Levon, who uh, you hear in the beginning of the trailer, was uh, a social worker and uh, transitioned into steel because her husband, who is a school teacher, was a school teacher, uh, started working in steel and, and found that the, uh, the job paid really well and provided great benefits. And um, what was interesting about Levon too is that when she uh, transferred into steel, she found that the skills that she had as a social worker really applied to um, her becoming a safety advocate. And much of the, the work she does is about communication, talking to people, making sure that um, everybody's safe and that they, they feel like they can approach her if, if there's an issue uh, about safety in the mill. So, um, so yeah, many of the jobs have, have changed, and uh, the, peop the people I interviewed, I think at first were a little hesitant and weren't, you know, quite sure about um, talking about their experience working in steel because, you know, people hadn't, you know, the story of steel, I think, is, is one that, um, you know, is, uh, uh, it's, it's a narrative that uh, where, you know, is still being developed. And so, but once I think it became clear to people what the direction of the story, they kind of opened up and became more interested in being part of the film. Carl, I'm a little curious here because I remember when, when the steel industry collapsed back in the 90s and, and then came back. But when it collapsed, I know a lot of uh, Workers and uh, union leaders were blaming management for not, uh, you know, adapting to the new technologies and and reinvesting in the plants. Did anybody did anybody cast some light on that in your in your documentary? Yeah, yeah, they did, they did, and I think that that was, um, you know, so one thing that's interesting about the uh, plant in Cleveland is that um, when it came back. You know, first it was closed, then it reopened. So the flame, you know, was gone, and then it came back. And then later in 2013, it became the most productive plant, not just in the United States, but in the world. And and part of the reason, a big reason they were able to do that was because, uh, like you just talked about, there, there was this um, uh, division, uh, you know, conflict between management and, and the workers. And uh, the workers felt like they were being overmanaged, they were being micromanaged. And uh, the new company decided to uh, change that and, and uh, um, decided that, you know, who knows better 
to operate a steel mill than you know steel workers you know themselves. And so the um, the new company empowered the workers to to make decisions uh, on their own, and um, and that really led to a uh, really higher productivity in the mill. Uh, so yeah, that was. I think that's a big reason why the steel industry is making a comeback now is that the uh, the steel the steel worker is is one is uh, is is more empowered uh, to make decisions when they're in the mill. So, Carl, uh, this is going to premiere on Monday, and I, I imagine you'll pack the uh, Capitol Theater on this. What would you like the people to say that see the movie on Monday, and 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 where is it going to go from there? Kind of a two part question here. But uh, when they yeah. watch this, what what's the takeaway? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I hope that when people watch this film, you know, when they drive by a, a, a plant, a steel mill or factory that's closed, they, they start to, you know, maybe think about uh, what it would be like if that plant were still open and the jobs that would be there, the restaurants that would be open, the the schools that would, would be open and, and uh, you know, the parks where people, you know, might, be with their families and, and think about what that looks like and really question whether or not that plant um, should be closed or, or, or if, if, if it was inevitable for that plant to close. And and uh, because the, the plant uh, in Cleveland, you know, that local 979 is a part of was closed and it did come back because the workers fought to bring it back. And, uh, and that um, so I hope that that's something that people take away is that you know that the decline in manufacturing in this country is not inevitable, and uh, and it's something that if we were to change, I mean I think it could solve a lot of the problems that we're facing today. And where does the movie go after Monday? Yeah, so um, after Monday, we're planning to have a screening in uh, Burns Harbor, Indiana. Um, and I, I don't think we have the date yet exactly, but that's, that's the next screening. Yeah. Yeah. That's where Dave McCall started his career, by the way. And, and oh, Fred yeah. Redman cool. and Fred Redman, who's secretary treasurer, of the AFL CIO. All right. Great that's conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, for putting this together. This is so badly needed. Carl Chris documentarian award-winning, I might add. And he's the guy that put together relighting the flame and you can get your tickets right now at relighting the flame film.com relighting the flame film.com premieres in Cleveland at the Capitol theater on Monday, February 26th doors open at four 30 showtime at five. Thank you so much for joining us. Keep in touch. Okay. I really appreciate what you put together, brother. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters and more from Good Jobs First. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.